Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, the science behind digital twins with special guest Rob Watts, Principal Architect of Intel Scenescape. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Darren. It's good to be here. I'm glad. I'm glad you came. You, you, you're working on some really cool technology at Intel. I've seen it in action. It's super cool. I've seen it on stage in live demos. Mm -hmm. Super cool stuff. But we're going to tease everyone and say you got to wait. You got to wait because we want to hear about Rob first. Tell oh. tell my audience your background, and then uh, we'll dive into why you, why you're doing what you're doing. Well, it's kind of. You know, everybody has their story, but I come to things from more of a physics background rather than like your traditional IT background. So uh, really, I, I have a master's in applied physics and did some work in, you know, uh, I did my, um, you know, some graduate stuff at Los Alamos Lab. And then I went into semiconductors for about five years and then did some, some entrepreneurship and then landed at Intel. So focusing more on like you know holistic solutions not just one particular discipline how do we bring together connectivity wireless uh, iot sensing in order to do something really special okay well you, you so you're a physicist well i have a master well that's so, what you learned in school yeah yeah i did <laughs> i did study physics uh, or applied physics and uh, at the time it was a concentration in like microwave theory and applications of of electrodynamics and then, oh, don't get me started. Yeah. That was my hardest class in college. Yeah, it, it's because it I was a, I, I was electrical engineer going into the mm -hmm. power option, and my hardest classes were my electromagnetic classes. Yeah, and you probably eat that eat that for lunch. That's no big deal for you, right? Yeah, you know how things go after not using something for a while, but the principles <laughs> remain, right? Actually, one of the right. more one of the more challenging classes I took in grad school was uh, plasma physics which somehow managed to combine uh, the hardest parts of quantum mechanics, uh, fluid mechanics, and electrodynamics into, into one discipline. So, yeah, that's... It sounds, that sounds yeah. horrible. <laughs> I'd <laughs> like to say like, I aced the class, but I'm not sure I did. Oh, I, I was happy I passed my electromagnetics class with a C plus. Yeah. I was like, that's a passing grade. <laughs> so, exactly. So, all right. So, Rob, tell me a little bit about how you got involved in what you're doing now, which is mostly around mimicking the real world in software. You're creating digital twins, basically, right? Yeah. Well, it really comes down to what is what are we trying to do with sensor data, and uh, and coming at it from a physics perspective, how do you, you know, how can you make the data as reusable and and valuable as possible. And so what it comes down to it for me is, how do we get it in the right units, in, in standard units? So uh, like, let me give you an example. In, in a, uh, an, a typical AI application that uses, uses video, what we do is we run it through a deep learning model that's running some inferencing that 
draws a, a little bounding box around a person or a dog or a vehicle or whatever. Yeah, object device. detection, right? Yeah, the basic so, object detection. You know, yeah. detection draws a bounding box, or you could do fancier stuff like semantic segmentation that actually, you know, is, connects the dots around the 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 object, or uh, like classification, which is saying what's in the whole image. Um, but ultimately, the uh, context for that detection is in the camera, right? Right. So uh, the interesting thing is when you're going to a, a manufacturing use case or healthcare or transportation, it's not enough to say, I detected something in the camera. If you don't know where the camera is, the data is essentially useless. When you, when you say you don't know where the camera is, you mean yeah. in the physical space, right? In the physical world. If I don't know the pose of that camera and I can't transpose the data from a bounding box into something that is in real world coordinates, the data doesn't really mean much. Oh, interesting. I never thought of it that way. I thought, you know, because a camera is really only taking a 2D picture, right? right? Right. And the bounding box says, hey, I've got something in, in, in there. I could even say, I have Rob here. I could say that, right? Yeah. What, he, what is here? Yeah. Where is here and what is here? Yeah. Well, I guess that matters. Yeah. So I guess, I guess the thing that we're trying to answer is, is three things. What, where, and when? You know, what is it that we saw or detected? Where was it and when was it? And, you know, time coordination and, and uh, you know, precision time stamping is pretty well understood. You know, you can look up an NTP server and get, get a timestamp. But doing the same thing, you know, if you have GPS, that's helpful. It gets you in within a certain radius of where you think something is, but you don't always have it. It might be, out, you know, it might be indoors or something like that. But you also don't get like a precise pose. You don't get like the actual uh direction the camera is pointing or the the object is pointing shall we say and if you have the camera and you have the exact pose of the camera then uh then that's a, some additional information that essentially what it what we're really trying to do is is well let me back up if we do create like a digital twin that's an overloaded term but a digital twin or a mirror world of the real world. If we have a digital representation of that real world, uh, the real question is how do we project the sensor data onto that virtual world? So you, you follow okay, what so, I mean? All right. I, I got to, I got to dumb this down. So okay. I understand. Okay. So what, so what you're saying is I've got cameras and sensors out there that mm -hmm. are taking pictures or telling me right. what's at their location, but that's meaningless if I can't superimpose that in the real world or a representation of the real world. Otherwise, I can't see the real interaction between those objects that I'm detecting mm -hmm. and the real world. Yeah, I, maybe we can think about it even a little simpler way is that, is that in order to make sense of the, of the sensor data, I need to know where that, the virtual representation of the sensor is. So I essentially oh, need God. to oh, digital yeah, yeah, twin yeah. the okay. sensor. Right. So like at my house, I'm going to even dumb it down even more. At my house, I've got security cameras mm -hmm. because someone stole something off my porch, Amazon, you know, someone yeah. stole something. So all of a sudden the ring camera was not enough. And then I put up five more cameras right. around my house and I have them labeled. Right. 
front, side, back, whatever. You know what that means. I know what that means. But the computer doesn't know what that means. It has no concept. Exactly right. So me, myself, when I'm looking at all the cameras, I can see, I saw this person walk through the front, come onto my side yard and into my backyard. Mm -hmm. I I know that because I know where I put the cameras and I name the camera front, side and back. Yeah. Right. What if you don't speak English? Yeah, that's bad. (laughs) Right. Right. Or my my computer, if I wanted my computer to to watch my kids sneaking out of the house at night, I have three teenagers, right? Then I want to know which path they took. Right. The, the computer can't tell me that without having some notion of where those cameras are with respect to the house. That is right? exactly right. Got it. Okay. So my kids, if you're watching this show... Rob's going to help me catch you. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, it's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <God. laughs> so that. So why did you get in this space? I mean, why does it matter that we have? Why does it matter that the computer has an accurate or semi-accurate representation of the world world? Well, it's really about data reuse. Um, how do you how do you represent the data in a way that that more than just one application can make sense of it? So the idea is like if I put you know cameras up in a factory for monitoring where uh, where product is or monitoring something about uh, the space, like where people are for security purposes, typically. You put up security cameras over here, and then you put up machine vision cameras over there. And those two systems, like one for tracking a product and another one for tracking people, don't talk to each other. They don't They're represent different. The yeah. And another one would be like, I put up a security camera uh, to monitor this entryway here, and I have an AGV that has cameras on it coming down a, a corridor. And then... Uh, you, you know, you have a blind corner. One system knows that the person is about to be run over, but the other system doesn't know it. There is a digital version of something in a computer somewhere over here, and and the robot can't talk to it. It doesn't know how to con- how to connect the dots. So the idea is that if you have this digital version that is essentially a a common coordinate system for everything to work in, then the the robot can slow down because it knows that the person is there, right? It can. All right, I, I got you. So this commonality or this common way of describing the real world ends up being very important when I'm, especially in factories, right? Yeah. Factories where I've got safety systems, I've got security systems, mm-hmm. I've got product quality, um, yeah. all these things that are running. Wouldn't it be great if they could all share the same... Uh, virtual instance of the world yeah it's essentially trying to bring the spatial awareness into into machine machine ai right it's like how to you know if you if you think about how we as humans make sense of the world we create this mental model of the space around us it's in 3d it's in 3d plus time actually 
and we use our senses, audio, touch, vision, in order to build that, that 3D understanding of the world around us. And then we can determine how to act. And really, I just don't see how we're going to drive forward machine-based AI without having that spatial understanding as, as one of the core fundamental components of, of that AI. Gotcha. So I, I really like the premise of it. I think it's super cool. Um, could we leverage this also in the VI, or VR and AR world as well? Where, hey, maybe uh, let, let's talk about Chernobyl. Right. If I had an accurate uh, model of Chernobyl and sensors currently, I could go in there with a VR headset and a robot and move around and work in that environment without going in the environment. Do you see that as one of the possibilities here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's this notion of being able to. Well, I like to say AR for when you're there, VR for when you're not. So okay, yeah, the, I like that. Yeah, the the amazing thing about you know, I actually think about augmented reality and robotics as being closer together than augmented reality and virtual reality. Um, augmented reality and robots they have to operate within the physical space. They need to. They need to be. Yeah, VR to, doesn't. Right. 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 But that makes sense. Use the data that is captured from the live scene to create that that digital twin of the, of the physical space to, to mirror the physical space that you can walk through in virtual reality when you're not there. So there's this sort of continuum that happens when you're in the space. But then if you can store and, and maintain the, the history of that over time and maybe, maybe push up the data in near real time, you could ultimately walk through your factory, walk through Chernobyl, walk through that area where humans can't particularly go uh, for one reason or another, as if you were there in virtual reality. And ironically, the virtual reality headset is creating a digital twin of the space you're in. Yes. That you could in yeah. turn <laughs> go somewhere else and then walk through when, you know, so it all comes together. So I need, I need to sort of map and, and twin the, the space where I'm operating the, in, in both cases, when I'm remote and when I'm, I'm on-prem or in the, in the physical scene. So you've really taken your physics degree kind of to the next, the next level, right? Applied physics, right? Because now you're saying, I understand the physical world. You understand you know, our understanding of, of physics in the mm -hmm. physical world. And now you're saying, let's see if we can capture that in the virtual world yeah. in, in a, in a twin of, of the real world. What other use cases do you see that we can use with, with this kind of technology? Is it, is it just, it's super cool, but obviously, I mean, what other things can I use for this, uh, this type of uh, technology? Well, I would say that there are use cases out there right now that we use every day that you don't quite realize. Um, but some things are more more emergent, like autonomous driving. They need to work against a, uh, a more real-time digital twin. But every time you use Google Maps, for example, you're using a digital twin. You're using oh, a Oh, you're right, because it tells me traffic, Yeah. right? Yep. It tells me accidents. Exactly. And all right, so people are already using Digital Twin right. already. They just don't necessarily call it that.
So there's there's a few things that that you really want to think about is one of them is like the latency aspect of it. The Google Earth, for example, is a highly latent digital twin of the of the world. You know that it, it, they probably yeah, go look at the front of your house, yeah, right? Exactly. If you look at the front of your house, it's not the same cars that you had yeah. a year ago or whatever. It's someone was visiting that day. That you're no longer friends with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what is their car doing in front of my house? Right. right? And uh, that's it. Or I cut that tree down and I can't, I forgot we had that tree there, you know? Yeah. So it's sort of a historical thing, but imagine um, if we can reduce that latency and get to the point where you're you're near real time now we can start enabling closed loop type controls and maybe maybe the implementation of that of that is running closer to the scene itself and i like to think that maybe maybe in the future we'll actually have the the truly intelligent scenes like uh in that iron man movie like with jarvis you know it's like he's in the house oh yeah it's like you can talk to him. He knows where everything is. He knows where the robots are. Knows who's there. You can say, "Hey," uh, you can imagine this the situation where you can monitor where you are, and the lights are just kind of following you, and you know, <laughs> whatever. You know, that real time con- closed loop control aspect of it is coming. Okay, so Rob, have you already set this up in your house? Uh, to some extent. My, it's so, it's so you're, funny a true, because, you're a true applied physicist right there. Yeah, it's funny. One of our lead developers, Chris, he has it set up as, at his house. And uh, and so he can monitor, you know, when there's a delivery truck versus uh, not a delivery truck or when the mail arrived or whatever. And he has he has this uh, notification being sent to his phone and it gives a certain alert when it's the UPS truck or whatever, the Amazon truck. Versus when it's something else, and his dog has learned which which sound it is. So it just it a video of this. It's okay, there, there it is. My yeah. dog uses right. My dog uses Scenescape. My dog uses a digital twin. Right. I love it. That's a headline. So it's like Pavlov. You know, it's like make the papers. He learned that that it's a certain sound. So the, it's doing the dog's job for it. So I, I think that's just just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So um, factories, big, huge use cases in factories, mm-hmm. uh, security, inventory management, all that. Have retail. You, yeah. Re- retail. Yeah. Um, can, can I, I mean, Amazon is using it. Are they using something similar to this in their, in their no, what are they? Their no touch stores. Like Amazon their, Go. Yeah. Like Amazon Go. Yeah. Are they yeah. using uh, this kind of technology? Absolutely. I think any case where you're you're having multiple sensors coming together to try to track where objects and people are and everything using different modalities, I don't know of any other way to do it. You really need to to calibrate all of these sensors together into the into the same coordinate system. And if you were to introduce that that sort of common uh, representation or digital twin or whatever we want to call it. Um, that is a fundamental way to do it. Really, it's just getting it into SI units and think back to the physics thing. It's like, how do I get it from pixels into meters or from, from pixels into geospatial? You know, those sorts of, like thinking about the units, first principles, is really a good way to, to go, I think. You know, that, that reminds me, and you, you probably know the story better than I do. There was a, a probe that we sent to Mars that had the wrong units, right? It was... It was feet over, over meters. Uh, meters or yeah. something like that. Yeah. 
And because they weren't in a standardized set, what happened? Every, you know, we crashed it right into the ground. Yeah. We just well, lost yeah, it. Yeah. Right into the Mars ground, I should say. Right? right. And it's because we had people from Europe working with people from America. And there's just this assumption that, uh, you know, of the unit. So it's it's even worse in the computer industry, right? As far as the different types of data that's collected in the non non uh, conformity to any kind of uh, spatial units or whatever whatever the case may be. Well, I guess it depends on the um, the discipline, right? But like with with an IoT and uh, like the type of sensor data that comes off of IoT, or even things like um, like temperature and humidity, those sorts of things have, some things are more mature in terms of the, the standardization around it, or there's a standard in one industry that's different than a standard in another industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, the real idea is to focus on how do I get to SI units and, and represent it there, but also look outside of your industry. Like for example, um, when you're creating a, you know, a digital twin, so-called um, maybe there is another industry that's already done this. And an example would be scene graphs for uh, gaming or rendering. They already have a representation for, uh, for a physical space or a virtual space. And, and if we just say, oh, this is just the way to transport the data, like GLTF or Uni Universal Scene Description Format, USD, now, there is a a way to transport that data that's that standards based. So let's just adopt that and maybe extend. So, and, and is that what you guys did? Cause this sounds kind of funny. Cause I, I know the answer to this. Cause I've, I've, I've um, talked to you guys before you guys actually went to the gaming industry because there's a lot of people working in gaming and they create incredible worlds right. that all have physics involved in it. Mm -hmm. So you just went there, right. And said, yeah. why don't we just use what already exists? Why reinvent the wheel? There's decades of development happening there. And so, and, and maybe the, uh, you know, one thing I like to think about is like, remember we used to play these uh, 8-bit games back in the day, right? You know, really pixelated or 2D. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then like the first 3D came, games came along and they're really low poly, you know, it's like blocky, but fun, right? It's like you, you got a sense of motion. I remember playing, uh, this is a 2D game, but playing P Prince of Persia back in the day. I don't know if you're- Oh yeah, you know, yeah. They they like rotoscoped the the capture of, of the player and it was so lifelike, even though it was just pixels, right? Um, and, then, and then fast forward to like today where you can look at a game and, and, and it, it looks just like it's photorealistic and then introduce like GANs into that and really had this like super uh, like, indistinguishable from the real world. I think the same thing, you're, we're going to start to see the same thing in this mirror world approach is where today the sensor data is not that great. You know, you can sort of see, see where things are. It's low poly, but we can get lots of value out of it. Like, like with autonomous cars or, or, you know, factories or retail or whatever, but with Moore's law, with better sensing and better compute, the fidelity of that twin and the, and the additional use cases that will come along to that will, will drive this virtuous cycle of, of uh, you know, better sensing, better compute, better twins, more value back to being able to invest. And, and it'll be this, this massive, 
you know, virtuous cycle that will drive, drive this technology forward. So, so Rob, do you, do you think that the gaming industry, then the standards that they use, are they sufficient enough um, to, to model the real world? Uh, or they're missing things in there that, that you need to add to it? Or can you take it for just as it is? Well, uh, that's, that's a really good question. I think that um, we should try to use as much as we can, but typically like a renderer works on a frame-wise basis. So it, it's, right. it's sort of like, you know, a clock. It's taking it's like, slices in time, right? You know, it's like just rendering forward. With, uh, with the real world, it's a little messier. Um, you might have really asynchronous, like some low latency, some, some high latency, you know, sources of data that are all coming in at different time scales and, and everything. And you need to be able to coordinate all of that and, and sort of bring in the accuracy of these things or the, the, uh, the error bars in and, and be able to make sense of that, model it, um, and, and maybe, uh, do some things like say, well, how latent is something? How much time do I have to get the data in, uh, into my model? Um, maybe I can, I can model with less, I can run my, my, uh, understanding of the world, uh, near real time at relatively low fidelity. It's a little chop, little, little chunky, but I can store all of that data and render it in higher fidelity, you know, for historical analytics, you know, so it, it's definitely messier, but, there we're standing on the shoulders of giants here. I mean, a lot of the work that's been that's there in the gaming industry can be reused for sure. Oh, that that's awesome. So my my next question is that the product that Intel has, it's called Scenescape, right? Um, something you've been working on for for some time. This is not like new stuff. This is not oh Rob did this in his basement with a couple other pals at Intel. Um, tell me, I mean. Is this a product that people can look at right now? Can they, and then what, uh, what use cases are you guys using it for today? Yeah, well, it kind of did start as something that we, we developed on nights and weekends, you know, it was like a vision. It really did come around saying, how do we get from pixel based units into real world units, like in cameras. And we quickly realized that, um, if we can separate things out into the, the, multimodal tracker along with, you know, motion modeling and everything. Now we can support other modalities and we can do, make things better. But yes, uh, Scenescape, Intel Scenescape is the result of that work. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, with our customers and our partners, we can drive this vision forward to, uh, to you know, really improve outcomes for our customers. And, and in terms of use cases, really, it sort of started out in cities and transportation, uh, like being able to make sense of what's happening on roadside cameras or, you know, say, how, how do I track cars from one camera to another or whatever. But we quickly realized that that tracker use case, the multimodal tracking is a sort of needed capability across industries. So it, it quickly extended into things like healthcare, for example. Um, Imagine a scenario where you could track where the instruments are in an operating room to make sure so that, nothing gets left in someone's yeah, body. Maybe if I track if I track uh, something going into the patient, I need to make sure I'm tracking it out. For example, 
that's a high fidelity use case that requires lots of high resolution cameras to do and 3D detection and all of that. But really, it's the same problem as tracking uh, a person moving in a factory and making sure that I don't turn on a robot when that person is nearby or whatever. So these are safety use cases, but I think there are some some uh, other use cases like just to improve uh, operational efficiencies that that we can do sooner, you know, like or or just knowing how many people are in line at, at the store or uh, knowing if I need to turn the lights on using a common digital twin rather than a special purpose uh, sensors. So I, I find this interesting because you talked about multimodalities and I, one of the demos that, that you guys have shown me is you can estimate where someone's going to go mm-hmm. and, and the next camera that they should be showing up in. And when they don't, then, you know, because a lot of times you can't cover your whole space with cameras or sensors, but you know where the gaps are because you have a 3D model of it. Mm-hmm. And when someone's walking and, and following a path, you know where they're you know where they are in the factory. That's the idea, and and uh, it's it's another another really another really interesting aspect of this is that no two sensors agree on on where something oh, is. Interesting, right? It's like there's always some error bars. Back to the physics thing, there's always an error bar on that measurement, right? And so if I have if I have cameras that overlap or other sensor modalities that, that cover the same area, I need to be able to reconcile the, the measurement about where somebody is. And then if I can set up a motion model, I say, well, here's the mass, here's the velocity, here's the maximum acceleration that's back to physics, right? It all comes down to physics. The maximum acceleration that this thing can, can handle or perform, then um, I can set up and do some extrapolation. I can say, yeah, this person is moving in this direction and uh, it's probably the same person we saw previously if they showed up in the next camera if I don't have coverage in that area or uh, a measurement of the track. So yeah, I mean, the physics definitely comes into it. So, you know, a lot of people that think about digital twin, they say, just put cameras up and you'll know everything. Uh, Rob, thanks for explaining it. It's, It's a complex problem, it's not easy. Yeah, and and think about the fact that it's it's a um, it's a continuum. It's like you have low low latency digital twins for real time type stuff, and higher latency ones like Google Maps that, that for longer term historical stuff. But really, in the end, it's all going to sort of compress into the real time, and and you know really improve outcomes for for a lot of. You know, I, I hope that uh, like a lot of technologists, I hope that we can use this technology responsibly and and really improve outcomes for for ourselves and for our partners. Oh, I, the, the use cases, my mind's just going crazy on use cases right now, mostly yeah. tracking my children, but that's- Is that's that, a, is that truly a responsible use? I'm not sure, Darren. I, that's a totally responsible oh, okay. use. <laughs> As a parent, yeah, it's totally responsible. <laughs> I love it. All right, Rob, hey, thanks for coming on the show today. Of course, Darren. Take care. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.com. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.